everybody. It's good to see you. Hey, um, my name's Jake. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Midtown Church and so glad that you've joined us this morning. Start off our week as a family to worship God and be reminded that he's real and that he's awesome and hear from him and his word. And so uh, just glad that we could be here uh, together to do that. We're going to continue a series that we started last Sunday called Life Changing. The Radical Reorienting Nature of the Gospel. Sounds so official, right? But that, that's what a series we started last week. It's got me thinking about some of the life-changing moments of my life. And uh, in fact, I've just kind of been uh, very, uh, I don't know, introspective as I've been thinking about that. So yesterday I'm, we're playing, uh, I'm watching my boys play flag football. I don't, I don't know if I've uh, mentioned uh, yet, but I, I am a very successful flag football coach. And, I, you know, hopefully that will make you all even, you know, kind of respect me more. It's made my sons respect me more. Dad, you've got two jobs. You're a pastor and you're a football coach. And they seem to think that one's cooler than the other one. But we're, we're 3-0 in a league that doesn't keep score. But we, if they did, we're 3-0. And I hate leagues that don't keep score. But anyways, we uh, watched boys play football, flag football yesterday. And Ben and Jennifer came and my parents came and we had a family there watching the game. And I'm watching Enoch on this one run. And, and I'm just thinking like to myself, like, man, like, I just can't imagine life without Enoch being a part of our family. And it's like, that was, has been such a life-changing element to our family. And for those of you who don't know, we, we are, uh, Chris and I adopted Enoch about four years ago, 2011, which is wild. So three and a half years ago, four years ago. And um, he, uh, it's, it's hard for me to remember when it happened because it's like he's just such a part of our family now that it's hard to imagine he wasn't ever a part of our family. And just to think what life would be like without him is just, like, it's changed our life, and it's been so good. He's just so fun, and y'all, most of y'all know Enoch. You know he's just such a smart, bright, fun, uh, awesome kid. And um, I was like, man, what would my life be like without him? And then flip that and think about for Enoch, and I, I don't want to sound prideful by any means, but I think we could all agree his, his life's also changed <laughs> by being adopted into our family and, and moving from Uganda to Austin and all of the things that have come with this thing. And, and I just think about, man, what a life-changing thing that's been for us, what a life-changing thing has been for him. And then that's got me thinking about the gospel and what we're talking about in this series and how one aspect of the gospel is that we've been adopted into God's family which is absolutely incredible and life-changing, but I wonder for us how life-changing it really is. Now, oftentimes when we think about what God has done for us through Christ, through his death and his resurrection on our behalf, usually the thing that we connect most clearly to that is that it's restored a relationship with God and it's made it possible for us to be in heaven when we die. And we, we kind of put off the life-changing thing to like eternally life-changing, where I'll spend eternity is changed, but what, what about my life right now? And you would think our adopting of Enoch's changed our lives, but, but how much more should our adoption into God's family cha- have changed our life? It's completely life-changing, but I think that we barely scratched the surface of what kind of change this really has done in our lives, and God wants it to do in our lives. I think about this quote by Tim Keller came across this week. He says, all change comes, all change comes, it's a big statement, all change comes from deepening your understanding of the salvation of Christ and living out the changes that understanding creates in your heart. Which is, a, I love how he puts that. I don't know if it makes all sense initially, but he's not saying like all change comes as a result of like when you, when you hear this, that you begin to change yourself. No, change comes when you understand how God has changed you and you begin to live out these changes that have already taken place 
in you, that God, when he saved you, changed you. And the rest of our life is understanding the degree of what God has done in Christ, mining the depth of the changes that he's already done for us, and then living out those changes. It's a pretty wild thing. So I go back to Enoch, and I'm thinking, okay, with Enoch, and just the change that it's been for him coming into our family, it's just been such a blessing. It's been so good. And people who hang out around us, they often, if they have the courage to ask, they'll ask the question, hey, why did you adopt? Right? And it's a good question. For us personally, uh, there, I mean, there's so many good reasons to adopt. But for us personally, it wasn't that uh, we weren't able to have biological kids on our own. That's kind of a common reason to adopt. But, you know, we've got camp and we've got Della. We have, we have biological kids of our own. So that, that wasn't it. And, it. and if you hang out with Enoch, you could assume that it's just because we met him. Like we, we went on an orphanage and we met him and we're like, we got to have him, right? But that wasn't how our adoption process worked. We'd, we didn't meet Enoch until we were in Uganda to adopt Enoch. So it wasn't for those reasons. So people want to know. Okay, why did you adopt? Why did you adopt? And I'm going to answer that later. But I want to ask a different question. And that is, how often have we stopped and asked God that question? God, you adopted me into your family. Why? (laughs) Why? And you could say why. It could be why because, like, you know, you can answer it with, like, well, he's a God of love. And he, he loves us so much. But there's also more than that to this question. Why? It's like, what was what was the purpose and what was your purpose in adopting me in your family or, or just taking him a step back and just asking the question, God, what, what was the purpose of you saving me? Why did you save me, God? You ever, ever wonder about that? That's what I want us to push down on today. Now, last week, we started talking about the power of the gospel, how incredible the salvation that God has provided for us in Christ, that he's not just saved us from the penalty of sin, though that's absolutely amazing, but he's also saving us from the power of sin, freeing us to be able to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness. It's just incredible that we're no longer masters to sin, or sin's no longer our master, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we can say no to and yes to God. It's incredible, saving us from the power of sin, and that he will save Save us from the presence of sin, this future aspect of our total salvation, glorification is the theological word for that. Like, this is the power of the gospel. But what's the purpose of the power of the gospel? What's, what's it for? Why did God save us? Why did God adopt us? That's what we're going to spend some time on this morning. What's the purpose of this life-changing change that God's done for us in Jesus Christ? To answer that question... We've got to look at the context in which our salvation finds itself, if you will. Context is key because oftentimes, if you're like me, you, you just begin to start thinking, okay, well, let me just rationalize what would make sense, why God would save me. And you kind of take some stuff that if you've been in the church for long, you kind of, you've heard growing up or you've maybe heard, even if you haven't been a part of the church for long, we kind of latch onto this idea, God saved me so I could go to heaven when I die. Like if you're like me, that was kind of the big answer to that question that I grew up with. Why did God save me? So that I would go to heaven when I die. That's, that's a true statement, but it, it's also a very incomplete statement. What we often do is when it comes to the, just the, even the idea of trying to answer the question, why did God save me? We, we often answer it very uh, individualistic and self-centered. Have you ever noticed that? God saved me so I could go to heaven. God saved me so I would know I'm loved. God saved me so I would know I'm valuable. God saved me so that I don't have to worry because there's a God that loves me. God saved me so I could be forgiven. God saved me so I could have a relationship with him. God saved, I, and, and 
man, don't get me wrong. Every one of those statements is completely true. That those are all aspects of our salvation that are true for us and what Christ has done for us, but they are also very incomplete. If our only understanding of that God has saved us is for me, then we've bought into an individualistic, consumer, American mindset to what the purpose is of the gospel. That the gospel certainly has incredible blessing, incredibly good for each of us. But the gospel is also not all about us. The gospel is not all about us. That there's a bigger purpose to what God has done for us in Christ. But in order for us to understand that bigger purpose, we've got to step back and look at the context, the biblical context, of, where our, of the purpose of God's salvation. And so, if you will, we're going we're gonna to try to blow through this. I'm never good at blowing through stuff, but I'm going to try, and we're going to start at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, and begin to say, okay, what's the context in which God is, you know, give us a clue of the purpose of our salvation? So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28 is where I want to start. And this passage is where we see kind of the climax of, of creation, when God's gotten to the point where he's, he's creating mankind. And uh, this is what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'll stop there. Okay. I highlighted it up here, but key word. See, the word image repeated three times in this passage. When God says, okay, we're going to create man, he makes it very clear that what he set out to do is to create man in his image. Now, if you've been around Midtown for a while, you've heard me talk a little bit about this, but this has been so, so, so important. It's kind of been a life-changing truth for me personally. I, I, I want to help us wrap our minds around, but when it says that God created us in our, Im- in our image, and God's saying we're going to create man in our image, he's not talking about physical image, right? Usually that's where we, our mind kind of goes to, physical image. But God, God is spirit. He did not create us to look like him physically. The incredible aspect of the incarnation that Jesus would take on flesh and become a human, that's amazing because Jesus took on our physical image. That's later in the story. Here, God creates us his image. He's not creating us to look like him. So what does it mean that he would create us in his image? The best way I know how to boil it down to, and this is probably a little too simplistic, but it's basically that he created us in his image in a relational sense, in a rational sense. Relationally and rationally, we're in the image of God. That the way that we would relate to one another is how God relates. That we would love each other like he loves. That we would have grace. That we would provide forgiveness and mercy, kind, patient. All of this incredible stuff. That's how God relates to us. And he made us with the ability to relate as he relates. And he created us rationally in his image, that we can think, that we can reason, that we can create, that we can be creative, like all this stuff. We're made in the image of God. And here's the thing, that when God says, I want to make man, I want to make him in my image, he had this purpose, that we would reflect what he is like. Now, 
to expand our understanding of this, there's another key biblical theme that's found throughout Scripture. And so this whole idea of the glory of God, right? The glory of God. I don't know about you, and you hear about bringing glory to God or glorifying God or the glory of God. It's always a bit abstract for me. Like, what exactly does that mean? This is a helpful definition for me for what glory means. Glory, glory literally means like weightiness, but it's like weightiness or fullness of, true expression of, like the glory of God is to, to give some the full expression of the truth of who God is. All right? And there's this idea, in fact, there's key verse, kind of a theme verse, really, if you will, for all of Scripture that's found in Habakkuk 2.14. This minor prophet tucked away in the, near the end of the Old Testament. But it's this, this beautiful summary statement of what God is about. And in that passage, it says this, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How, how does water cover sea? It's, you're talking about full saturation there, right? Full saturation. So this is God's idea of creation, is that he would create us in his image, male and female in his image, that the way that we would relate would give people a full expression of what he is like. The people would regularly be in, come encounter in, encounter the weightiness of all that God is and how we love them and they love us and how we serve and how we're patient, how we're kind and how we're generous and all that stuff that God, and when he created us, that was the intention of God, that we would bear his image, that we would give people a full expression of who he is, his glory, would then, and his command at the end of Genesis 1, 28, is like, and go multiply and fill the earth. So that the whole, all of creation would have this regular, repeated, daily reminder. This is what God is like. So that we would praise God and we would be blessed and creation would be blessed. Because when you love someone like God loves, that person's blessed. That's a good interaction. And when you're gracious or you're generous, like God's gracious and generous, then that's a good. So people are blessed, creation's blessed, and God is praised. That's purpose of our creation. I hope you follow that. That's a big, big deal. And it's a huge clue to the question that we're asking today. Why did God save us? The huge clue is to know that first we were created to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. The full expression of who he is. That's why we were created. Okay. But you don't need me to tell you that 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 didn't actually, that's not the world we live in, right? Like, I, it, it, yeah, you, you don't have to look around very far to say that. Okay, we're not loving people like God loves people. We're not experiencing the peace of God in our world. We're not, there's no shalom. Like we've, we've gotten, you know, there's, there's this brokenness that exists between our relation with God, our relationship with people, our relationship with creation. Like where has that come from? Uh, that came as a result, as Romans 3.23 says, that we've all fallen or we've all, We've all sinned and we've fall short of the glory of God. The fall short of the glory of God is we fall short of being the the true expression of what God is like. That this is what we were created for, but we we haven't lived up to it. We haven't been an accurate, a full, weighty expression of what God is like. And as a result, all of creation groans. As a result, there's brokenness, as I said, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, in our relationship with creation. That we don't love people like even we want to love people. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have peace. That the, the world is, 
you know, polluted and all of that kind of stuff and how we interact with creation. And, and our relationships are broken and fractured and all of that. That came as a result of mankind from the very beginning deciding that God isn't trustworthy. It, it, questioning the very heart of God to say, God, you must be holding out on me. See, I, you created me for this life, but I, I think there's a better life to be had, and so I'm going to go my own way. And in doing that, we turn our back on God. We rebelled against God, and we failed to reflect what God is like. And all of humanity has followed suit. Mistrusting the heart of God, going our own way, living our own lives, not representing the character of God. And so you could say, as far as the story of the Bible goes, that we were created to fill the earth with the knowledge of God's glory, but we failed to fill the earth with the knowledge of God's glory. But then this is where the story just takes this kind of dramatic and wild and incredible turn, right? Because what we would what would make sense, what would be very rational, is that God then would look down at mankind and say, okay, well, this is what I created you for, and you have missed, because you've questioned my heart, your creator's heart, who created you to experience this incredible shalom, this incredible life, this incredible love to be able to have, to relate like I relate to you for my glory and for your blessing, and you said no to that, and you went your own way, and you rebelled against me, then yeah, I'm going to just do away with you. <laughs> That would make sense. Or I'm going you know, to just start over and get rid of you. Or I'm going to just, all I can do is heap condemnation on you. Man, that would all make sense. But instead, what we see is that God, out of incredible grace and love, pursued us, chased after us, entered into our world and our lives in order that he, in his love, could win us back that we could once again enter into a relationship with him. And the way that he did this is through Jesus, the God-man, God the Son, who took on flesh, like I said, took on our image, our physical image, and lived the life that we were created to live, a life that perfectly represented the character of God, his full glory. I like how John, the, the disciple, put it in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says this, if I could find it. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus took on flesh, he dwelt among us, he literally he tabernacled among us, or put in our common terms, he moved into our neighborhood. He came after us, he moved in with us, and then he represented God fully in how he lived. The full glory of God full of grace and truth. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, what we were designed to live, that we were created to live. And then Jesus willingly, voluntarily went to the cross to die in our place, the death that we deserve to die. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death not just meaning physical death, but eternal death, separation from life. Source of life is God, separation from God. That the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That because Jesus would go to the cross for us, he paid the penalty that we should have paid. 
And in Christ, we got what we never deserved. Like, I love this. Like, just wrap your mind around this. In Jesus, Jesus Jesus took from us having to pay the payment we deserve to pay, and instead we get what we never deserve to get. Jesus took what we deserved, death and condemnation and blame and being forsaken by God. And instead we received what we never deserved, life and grace and love and eternal life. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, right? And as a result of what Jesus did on the cross and what he accomplished in his resurrection on the third day is that he initiated the ability for us to be, and again, I kind of follow me with this word, but recreated, made new. And Jesus would say, you put your faith in me alone for forgiveness of your sins, then you are born again. Like you're remade, you're born again. Paul would put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that, that uh, he says, here we are. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Like this is big language, right? That like if you're in Christ, then the old is gone. Who you once were is gone. And you are new. You are a new creation. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, you're born again, Paul saying. We're, we're a new creation. Why, how does this happen? Because of what Christ has done for us. When, when Christ rose from the dead, he initiated this brand new resurrected life, this brand new creation that makes it possible for us to fulfill the purpose that God created us for. Once again, that God through Christ saved us, if you put your faith in him alone, forgiveness of sins, or if one day you do, then you're saved, saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved for the present, future presence of sin. You're going to save, but you're saved so that you can once again be able to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. You were created to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. We failed to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But God recreated us through Jesus, through the power of the gospel, so that we can now fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. Friends, do you see it? Why were we saved? Is it just so we can go to heaven when we die? Absolutely, that's true. That's awesome. But man, that's just so incomplete. In fact, that's so incomplete because we think about heaven as leaving earth to go be with God. But the way that the story ends is God leaving heaven to come be with us on earth. That he recreates all of creation. That we spend eternity here on the created world, the created earth. Why? Because this is what God is all about. That there will be a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 is not a wish. It's a it's a statement of fact. It's a promise. And the way that it's possible for that to come true, where there are people of tri- every tribe, tongue, people, and nation glorifying God around the throne of Christ, as we see in Revelation 5, praising him for his glory. The way that we know that that's possible is because of what Jesus did for us in his cross, on the cross, and res- in his resurrection. And he did it for the purpose of seeing the day that their whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory through his representatives, through his image bearers, 
that he's recreated in Christ. Second Corinthians 3, we went to it last week. But it, it gives an incredible insight how this is possible. How can we, we of all people, represent God? And it's not by our power, friends. It's not like we're now, because of what Jesus did, we're going to just try harder to be good people. It's, it's not it. it. It's what God has accomplished through the gospel, it, 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 that we've been saved, that we're adopted in his family, and that God himself comes to live within us. Second Corinthians 3 talks about it this way, starting in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, having full access to God, beholding the glory of the Lord, the full expression of all that he is, his full weightiness, are being transformed into the same image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now we're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How are we being transformed? Because of what Christ accomplished for us. It's the gospel message that includes that the Spirit of God has come to live within us. And he's changing us back into his image from one degree to another that we can fulfill the purpose that he created us to represent what he's like, to love as he loves, to care as he cares, to be kind as he's kind, on and on and on for the blessing of all creation and for the glory of God. That's why we've been saved. This is really summarized powerfully in Ephesians chapter 1, and I just want to read it for you, verses 4 through 14. It's kind of a long section, and there's so much stuff in here that we could spend a lot of time unpacking, but I just want you to listen primarily for these three purpose statements that's found as Paul kind of lays out the, the incredible depth of, of the, sal- of the saving work of God. And you'll see it here. He'll talk about the, the Father's saving work and the Son's saving work and the Spirit's saving work, but all of it is summed up in these three uh, purpose statements. So just listen for them. I, I highlighted them up here too so you don't miss them. But it says this, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, here it is, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in, in the beloved, in Jesus. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he's lavished upon us, that in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In verse 11, in him we have ob- obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here we go. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And last time to the praise of his glory. Salvation that God has provided for you is absolutely for you. I mean, it's got incredible impact on you. But to have just a a self-centered idea of why God has saved us is to be super incomplete and is to miss something very important. And that is, ultimately, we were saved for the praise of God's glory and the praise of his glorious grace. 
And that that may sound self-centered from God, but guys, you got to understand that the very best thing possible is for us to relate to each other like God relates to us, that brings praise to him, glory to him as we express the full, you know, live out the full expression of all he is. We are, we are blessed. When we love like God loves, we're blessed. When we relate to the world like God has us relate to the world, as he would relate to the world, the world is blessed. This is good for us, and it's good for God. It brings praise to God as we relate according to who he is. This is God's plan, and so all of, all of our salvation is for the praise of his glorious grace, the praise of his glory, as Paul draws out in this passage. And so I want to help us just quickly press down on, what exactly does that mean? Praise of his glorious grace, praise of his glory. And this is where this gets practical. See, for the, for the praise of his glorious grace, his idea that the world would know that God is a God of incredible grace, that he saved us when we didn't deserve it. Now, the gospel message is a message that should move us to, be, to, to regularly respond with a proclamation. Praise is a proclamation. Praise isn't like just between you and God. Thankfulness is, can be between you and God. You tell God. But praise always in Scripture carries with it a proclamation for other people to hear kind of idea. And so we praise God for his glorious grace when we proclaim it through word or deed, through our actions or our lips, what God is like. And that we are moved by the gospel to tell the whole world that God is this incredible God of grace. To tell our family, to tell our neighbors, to tell our coworkers or whoever we come in contact. Like, this is what God is like. This is what the gospel has revealed. That God is this incredible God of grace because he saved me. The one who, who absolutely doesn't deserve to be saved. Who brings nothing to the table of good that's worthy of my salvation that could ever offset the bad that I've done. There's nothing that I bring except things, acts that deserve condemnation because I was created to represent what God is like and instead I've slandered the name of God. And I've dragged it through the mud, giving people a wrong picture of what God is like. And yet he saved me, he saved me, Praise to God for his grace. I made my son cry this week. I can be such a jerk. <laughs> and I, uh, this story's going to make me sound really bad. But I, um, so I, my kids, I don't know if any of y'all with young, young children can relate to this, but my, my kids don't seem to always want to eat their food at dinner time and, and like to complain a lot about having to eat it. And so the other night, Krista wasn't even at home, and I'm feeding the kids, and, uh, and well, she had cooked, and I served it. And, uh, and, then she, and so we're, we're eating, and um, camp is complaining, complaining, complaining about the food. And so I started calling him names. And I, that sounds really bad. And I didn't mean it to be that bad, but I, I might, I might have called him Mr. Ungrateful Pants and uh, the boy who complains. And I called him that a few times. Like if the boy that complains could just take four more bites or Mr. Ungrateful Pants, you know, anyways, the third time I called him a name, he had got up and ran off crying and he ran into our kitchen, which is right off by their table. And I'm like, Ugh. I'm such an idiot, right? And so I get up and I kind of chase after him. I pick him up and I put him on a kitchen counter. And I'm looking at him kind of eye to eye. And I just say, son, I'm so sorry. Your dad can be so mean. 
and I should not have called you names, and I am just, I'm just so sorry. Will you forgive me? He says, Dad, it's okay. And fr- fresh with all of this that I'm talking to you about, on my mind, I'm like, you know, Camp, I said, thanks, man, but it's not okay. See, it's not okay because God gave you to me so that I could be a picture of what God the Father is like. That I was designed to give you a picture of what God the Father is like. And God the Father is so much more gracious and kind and patient than I am. And so I'm so sorry. I said, but, but son, I got to tell you, that's why I'm so, I'm so in love with Jesus. Because in Jesus, God has given us what we don't deserve. And he knows I'm going to fail to give you a picture of what Jesus, what the Father's really like. And yet Jesus paid for me, my sins. And in Jesus, I have grace and I get what I don't deserve. And you too, you get what you don't deserve. Isn't Jesus awesome? (laughs) And he said, Dad, yes, Jesus is awesome. Aren't you? And he says, I'm so glad he's forgiven you. (laughs) And I forgive you too. I said, you should preach the message. <laughs> Guys, we, we were saved for the praise of God's grace. That we would regularly understand that we don't deserve our salvation and yet be so moved that we have had it, we have received it in Christ as a free gift that we can't help but tell people about the grace of our incredible God. And many of us feel like, yeah, I don't have any opportunities to share the gospel. And let me just tell you this, friends. Every time you sin is an opportunity to share the gospel. And what our tendency is, is to hide our, hide our sin so we can look good. But a life living out the purpose and God saved us is that we don't hide our sin. Because we're not concerned about making us look good, but making our incredible God look good. Because he is good. And every time you mess up and you wrong somebody, it's an opportunity to go to them and say, I have committed wrong. I, this is what I deserve. Praise be to our God for his glorious grace. This is what I've received in him. And I just want you to know that this is what God is like. Because we were saved to declare God's grace. Are you declaring God's grace? You have plenty of opportunities. We all mess up all the time. And yet God is grace amazing. Let's declare it. We're also saved to proclaim God's glory. And what this means and the difference here is that because we have received the Spirit, because of what Jesus has accomplished us for us on the cross and through his resurrection, we are being transformed into his image. We do have the ability, not our power, but God's spirit within us to represent God, to love like God loves, to, to be generous like God's generous, to like in our interactions, to give people a picture of what God is like. And so because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the gospel, for the purpose, the, 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 the purpose of the power of the gospel is that it's enabling us to represent God, to give people a picture of what God is like by what we say and how we live. Are we doing that? I think about people in our church. I think about stories like, our, you know, I, not, Ben's not going to like that, I'm going to tell this, but like I know Ben regularly mows his neighbor's yard. And he mows his neighbor's yard without being asked, and he doesn't ever make any big deal out of it. But why does he do that? Well, it's a, it's, that's a picture of God. 
It's a representation that his neighbors could see and any neighbors that are paying attention. Hey, our God is a God who served. That Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for me of many. And so Jesus, so, so Ben, and, and the, by the power of the Spirit, represents God doing something that he wouldn't want to do on his own. But because this is what God is like, Ben does this. This is powerful, friends. I think about the Amados who are currently in the process of adopting two kids, right? Grace and Blandis. And like, this is amazing. Why would they do this? Why would you do this? They have a, they have a full house of kids already. Why are y'all doing that, man? God adopted us. This is a picture of what God is like. And we give our kids and we give our families and we give this church community and anyone else is paying attention a picture. This is what God is like, friends. That he is a God who went through incredible sacrificial cost that he was happy to pay to bring us into his family. And so we give people a picture of that God when we do that as well. That's the answer on the very beginning of the message why Chris and I adopted. And we're so taken by how God has adopted us and by the power of the Spirit living within us because of God's adoption, our salvation. We're moved to want to represent God. Think about, you know, on a funny side, but like with the Bruces, Heidi, Dustin, and Heidi, they're not here this morning, so I can tell the story. But, um, they're the biggest Aggies in the entire world. Like, they're just diehard Aggies. They don't, talk, they don't talk much about anything else other than maybe Jesus and definitely the Aggies, right? And so, they, <laughs> getting them too hard of a time there. But, you know, it's like they, they're the ones who always refer to Longhorns as T-Sips and, and UT always as T-U. I mean, they're big-time Aggies, right? And yet, they move, they move from Pflugerville into High Park to be neighbors of UT college students who they could cl- classify as their enemies, <laughs> to pursue them, to get to know them, to love them, that they could have a picture of what God is like, that, that perhaps, by the grace of God, their neighbors would come to know Jesus. Why do that? Because God, when we very much, in a real sense, were his enemies, moved into the neighborhood and came after us and sacrificially and voluntarily laid down his life on our behalf laid down his life on our behalf, that we could become family with him. This is what God is like. Because we are, we are told just in the principle of Scripture that whatever God does for us, he wants to. He invites us to allow him to also do through us. That we're blessed to be a blessing that we're reconciled to reconcile, that we've been served to serve, that we've been given peace to be peacemakers, that we've been saved by grace, that we would extend grace to others. And when we give people by the power of God because of his transforming work in our lives, a picture of what God is like, it's to the praise of God's glory. And it's to the good of anyone that's getting to see it and hear it. This is why we've been saved. We've been saved that the glory and the grace of our Lord would be known. That it would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea through people like us. 
And here's what I love. That means through our failures and our successes. That when we mess up at giving people a picture of what God is like, that's an opportunity for us to proclaim the grace of God. And when we succeed by the power of God in us, giving people a picture of what God is like and how we live, that's by the power of God to the praise of God. That through our success and our failures, we are able to give God, a, a, give the world a picture of God's incredible glory as incredible grace. Friends, this is why we've been saved. Are you living this out? So wrap up this morning. I want to just leave you with a, with a couple of questions. The first question is that I, would, that I would just ask that you would spend some time on this week. And here's the question. Why has God saved you? For what purpose? You've heard me talk about it. But you need to own this. And I'd encourage you to spend some time. Spend some time in Titus 3, 3 through 8. Spend some time in 2 Corinthians 3, 3 through 5. Uh, spend, some time, spend some time in the book of Romans. <laughs> spend some time in Ephesians 1. And study these passages and ask God, God, why have you saved me? And can you help change me? Reorient my life around the incredible message of the gospel. See, friends, we are not saved. I want to be real clear. We are not saved by our works. This is not about what we need to do in order for God to save us. Scripture is so clear. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I mean, I've got it up here for us. Just, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Not good works we do by our power, but because of what God has accomplished in the gospel, enabling us to partner with him as he indwells us to fulfill the purpose by which he created us to reflect his image, to be an expression of who he is. Those are our good works. Are you doing that? Are you living for his grace? Are you proclaiming his grace? And are you representing him, proclaiming his glory? Ask yourself those questions. And if you're not, that's an opportunity, isn't it? To proclaim his glorious grace. And as you set out to, by the power of God, you'll also be able to represent him. Let's live that out. Let's be that kind of church. Next week, we're going to talk about one more aspect of the gospel that makes this possible and also gets into how the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But for now, let's focus on our, our family. <laughs> Can our family be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of his grace, the knowledge of who he is? And can our, maybe our workspace, maybe our neighborhoods, maybe just our next door neighbors. But let's start with that. It's why we've been saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible, glorious grace. You know, we thank you for who you are. 
that to represent you means to love with a love that is sacrificial and so rich and so beautiful that if we could live that out, our world would be such a better place. God, we know that you have saved us, that we would represent you, but we also know we are absolutely incapable of doing that by our own power. But God, that's the beauty, the life-changing beauty of the gospel, that you have not just saved us, and left us, but you've saved us, and you have adopted us, and you have come to dwell within us. And by your power, God, we can represent you. God, may that click with us, and may, God, it change our direction of the purpose we're living. It's not about us. God, we want to live for your glory. We want to proclaim your grace that the whole earth would be filled, the knowledge of your glory and the knowledge of your grace as the waters cover the sea. Now you are worthy of that. So we want to spend some time right now praising you for what you've done for us and for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.